Welcome to the Whole Self Podcast, where we talk about various mental health topics with an emphasis on the body, mind, and spirit connection. Our goal is to empower our listeners with the knowledge and tools needed to embark on their own healing journey. A gentle reminder that this podcast is not a substitute for therapy, and we encourage you to seek out your own therapy if needed. Hi, welcome to the Whole Self Podcast. My name is Sharon Wegman. And I'm Kate Byler. And today we're going to be talking about food beliefs. Mm. And the reason why we want to talk about food beliefs is food is literally a part of our day and night all the time. <laughs> In some version is a part, it's like a part of our life. Yeah, you can't escape it. <laughs> you can't escape it. And so a lot of people as a result of this theme that's going through their house all day every day from the time they were a child to the time they're adult have a lot of food beliefs and we want to talk about where they come from Mm -hmm. because it really messes people up in their body image and their in their eating habits it's it's a lot yeah and we were thinking like because you come in contact with food every day it's just like a daily trigger of just it's always like something you're battling then whereas maybe some other things you can shelf for a while because Maybe the other things are visiting a cousin that you only see twice a year. Okay, well that's a trigger you can avoid. <laughs> this type of trigger is a part of your as a part of your day. So where do they come from? Um, we started out with talking about how our parents handled food. I think this can look like an array of things. It can be how they talk about food, maybe how they talk about how much food you need to be eating or what types of food, and of course this if you go back to all of our podcasts, probably comes from how their parents handled food. Right. So we have an attachment theory with food. Yes, apparently. (laughs) We do. Oh, that's a good title. Um, So, you know, if our parents were picky eaters, Mm -hmm. that would influence what we, our beliefs are about food. Right. Um, yeah, I and this we talked about this later down on the list, but it just is coming to mind now because it's the opposite. If they're, well, I guess if they're picky eaters or if they're junk food eaters, right? Like I've I've had a lot of clients whose food habits are formed, and I realize it because I talk talk to them, and their parents get takeout every single night or every other night as a source of doing dinner, and that stuff. Honestly, we we become addicted to it. Yes. And because of the ingredients in it and and what it feeds our body. But if your parents are constantly doing that for you as a child, well, that's going to create an issue when you're older, too. Oh, it's 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 so much. Um, And like, let's talk about what they what people say about food. Mm. Um, I think about like when people say, oh, this is so much food. I can't eat all of this. Even though you might be hungry, the reality of it is now I'm believing this is too much food for me. Right, exactly. Yeah, I'm trying to think what other phrases might be good examples of that, what people say about food. Or or maybe, I think from a parent's perspective to a child, a parent might say, oh, you don't need that. Right, exactly. You don't need that much. Or uh, didn't you already um, go back for a uh, second helping? Right. And so there's ways we can help um, direct our children how to eat healthier without things maybe feeling shaming or are you feeling OK? Are you extra hungry today? You know, I don't know. It's it's tough because 
I think when a kid is going for a second helping and we comment on it, they might be embarrassed. Exactly, but maybe they're starving. Right, maybe they're, maybe they're going through, through a, a grocery. grocery. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, so sometimes parents transmit their own f- mm. food eating disorder issues onto their children by the things that they say. Right. And that's a no-no. It right. creates a lot of problems. Um, let's talk about, like, even um, body weight. We have yeah. a lot of people whose parents will judge. I don't think you need that second helping. Mm-hmm. Um, how, have you weighed yourself recently? Right. Uh, all kinds of statements about that. Right. Or focusing on, oh, you know, you look a little thicker. I mean, that sounds surprising for some of us to hear that a parent would say that but it's true they'll say oh it looks like you've gained a little weight or even oh it looks like you've lost a little weight neither are fun to hear and both of those create for a child or a young adult a constant awareness of their body weight right if they have parents who are constantly introducing Mm -hmm. body weight of the of the child or the body weight of other people oh she gained some weight Mm -hmm. um that's that shaming tone really creates a lot of issues for even a five-year-old boy. Yeah. And so if you have a parent that's constantly focusing on your weight or others pe- other people's weight and they're making comments about it, what it's teaching them is a lot of their worth is in their weight <laughs> or what their look, what your parents' value is in weight. And that's just really right. confusing for a kid. We were also talking about how a lot of parents transmit their own eating disorder onto their children by Mm -hmm. controlling the food what how much they have what type of food all organic chemical Mm -hmm. sugar whatever and there can be so many rules tied to what is healthy versus not healthy that that control tied to food will actually create obsession for those kids right absolutely and just they're not learning healthy realistic limits on their own because when your kid goes to a friend's house and they have and that mom allows them to eat Doritos they're probably gonna eat Doritos but because they've never experienced junk food before they might make themselves sick they don't know limits they don't know what's okay for their body yeah I, I often say to parents when I have like parents of teenagers I say to them it's really important that you begin to slowly allow them to control their food and a variety of other things because otherwise they're going to go to college and they're just going to go off the deep end because that control was how they regulated themselves Mm -hmm. and that's a problem Mm -hmm. and you don't want them feeling guilty for eating junk food because I think we have to live in the reality of our culture. It's like, if you have a teen or a young adult, they're going to eat junk food, most likely. Unless they're specifically told not to by a doctor. <laughs> they're probably going to enjoy things you don't want them to. Yes. <laughs> okay, and, and that puts us into the place of, you know, their peers will influence them in eating disorders as well. If mm-hmm. you're sitting at a lunch table with girls who are communicating these same messages that we just said parents could be communicating. Right. Oh, that's too much food. I can't eat that. That's mm-hmm. so fattening. If they're sitting around people saying that, they're going to start to believe, oh, that's true for me. I shouldn't be doing this. Right. I shouldn't be this hungry. I shouldn't eat this. Right. 
It's very, very powerful. And in, in high school and junior high, middle school, that's when they all develop eating disorders because their peers start to be more and more of influence mm-hmm. on them regarding things that parents used to have control over. Yeah, and it's already hard. I can only speak from a girl's point of view that you're trying not to compare what your lunch looks like and maybe your friend's body type looks like and putting it all together already naturally with um, what our culture is like. So if you have parents, again, constantly focusing on someone's body weight, you know, we're going to do that with our friends as well and be really self-conscious about it, what we eat. Exactly. Um, We talked about how sports can teach us to have an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. I I was thinking of like... um, you know, one of my nephews, he was a wrestler. He went, And I remember him having to drop weight. And yeah. here he was, like a 16, 17-year-old boy, having to literally starve himself to yeah, drop weight. That exactly. wasn't healthy. No. But sometimes sports make that okay. Mm-hmm. And that's normal. Um, right. If or, you want to be good at this or succeed, this is your specific BMI um, this is your size you need to obtain and stay at. Right, and that could go the reverse um, order with like football players mm-hmm. where they have to um, beef up, um, mm-hmm. do a lot of protein, take in a lot of carbs, then that can become a pattern eating from that point that's not even based on football anymore. Right, and with girls, certain sports like being a gymnast or a ballerina, you're expected to even be a certain height or size and maybe if you have um you know broader shoulders or bigger breasts or something like you're like completely counted out so I think if it's a sport you love it it almost okays it to go to at what cost (laughs) right to make yourself a certain size it's it's so true so again food beliefs come from so many things Mm -hmm. and i i just threw this one in the end which was we can develop food phobias tied to when we were ill Mm -hmm. like i had uh when i was pregnant i with one of my children i had a reaction to yogurt that i used to eat every time in the morning and Mm -hmm. as a result of that i can't the smell of yogurt still makes me a little triggered i can eat it now but it still triggers my food beliefs right or even if like you have an illness or a chronic illness that forces you to eat like the same things and then you maybe overcome that. You never want to go back to those things or whatever it is. Those would all be normal for our brain to um, have to work out with food. Yes, exactly. So there's so many food phobias tied to illness that I don't think people understand how much we have made agreements with these beliefs that mm-hmm. happen during times of medical trauma with food. Um, so as a result of that, we need to really kind of grab a hold of that we have created beliefs and or agreements with how we handle food due to the things that really happen to us in the younger part of our life. Yeah, and I would say a lot of those beliefs are like, at least I think with girls who focus on their bodies and maybe focus on what they're eating, they're very fantastical beliefs, meaning like, oh, I just ate a big ice cream sundae, I probably gained five pounds the next morning. For the next three days, I'm just going to eat, like, lettuce and cucumbers and not have any carbs. That's just so such fantastical, almost food math we're creating. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so of, true. Out of the beliefs that we've learned to um, 
internalize over time. So that comes to mind for me because I think it's important to point out that that is fantastical. Like, yeah, absolutely. That doesn't happen. No, it <laughs> you doesn't. You don't eat an ice cream sundae. You don't gain two pounds the next day. And eating lettuce doesn't discount your ice cream sundae. <laughs> right. So these beliefs that we have come into agreement with really hold a lot of power over us mm-hmm. of how we choose ice cream sundaes or not right <laughs> lettuce or not mm-hmm. and it dominates our thinking all throughout the day for sure people who have really big uh eating disorder beliefs think about food from the moment they're up mm-hmm. to the moment they go to bed right they're planning out their food all of those things whether it's withholding themselves or going over over the top mm-hmm. yeah all right so let's talk about how we break our food beliefs Well, identifying some of those agreements, like we just said. So, and some of them might be small or big, but I think if any of them hold, I think there's some for all of us that we have around food, I would think from from growing up or maybe just from our peers or sports and identifying them and how they um, come into maybe your decision-making with food and maybe how you decide. And so you have to identify it first. Like, oh, I do think that way that like I can only eat this amount in a day. I can only eat this many, you know, calories or something. Right. And and identifying the myths mm-hmm. tied to food, which you just explained with the ice cream sundae mm-hmm. analogy. Right. Um, we have to constantly challenge that myth. This is not true. Um, because if we, we really need to listen to our body to mm-hmm. determine when we eat and when we don't eat. There's so many patterns that we believe were the, are the truth. But the reality of it is if we listen to our body and pay attention to our body, mm-hmm. which is also becoming body aware, that yeah, body, sure. soul, spirit connection. Mm-hmm. When I listen to it, I can normalize what I what it is that mm-hmm. I need. Well, and maybe an example of an agreement versus a myth might be like, if I, I just ate this, that makes me bad and I feel guilty. Like eating a certain food makes us... I don't, I don't want to say The bad girl. Yeah, Bad girls eat dessert. Mm Mm-hmm. Good girls don't eat dessert. And now I feel guilty about, or I feel shame. Yeah. Like, eating a certain food shouldn't really make you feel shameful. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so, you know, it's so important that if you feel like this is really, really affecting you, you really need to seek out an eating disordered therapist Mm -hmm. or an eating disordered group. Um, there's a lot of groups out there. We have a therapist here at our practice by the name of Joanna Falgene. And while she doesn't really work with, with actual like intensive eating disorders, Mm -hmm. she really works with the food beliefs Mm -hmm. and the body image issues. That's a passion of hers. Mm -hmm. So if you're in Pennsylvania and you need a therapist, um, Joanna is really good. She's just passionate about people having healthy body images. Yeah, because sometimes it's not an eating disorder. It's just learning to like learn how to love ourselves better and rework some of those myths. And if if you feel like that's you, that might be a good route to take because sometimes it's as simple as learning to identify what they are, learning how to break them, and talking to your therapist about it. Yeah, because sometimes I don't think you realize you have these beliefs. No, definitely not. And they, like, sneak up because they're so normal in your day-to-day. Yeah, so seek extra help if 
this podcast isn't enough. I think when we, we introduce these things, we're just saying, hey, think about this. Mm-hmm. What are your food beliefs? What are your food myths? Mm-hmm. Just to get you to think and have more self-awareness. And self-awareness is amazing. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we need to go get therapy as mm-hmm. well. So yeah. um, that's always an important process of figuring out, breaking it. For sure. Talking about it with somebody else. For sure. Somebody else safe. Yep. If you like our podcast, please follow and subscribe. We're always happy to hear that we actually are being listened to because we really desire to impact our community in a positive way. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to us. Yep. We'll see you later. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Any resources or links from today's episode can be found in our show notes. Original music in this episode is by Christopher Burkholder.